Hello, everybody. I am Daniel Aaron. Daniel Aaron, your host for The Art of Vibrant Living, and I am very happy that we have Dr. Will Tuttle with us today. Early thanks to Longevity Drops, our sponsor, and let's just jump right into it. Um, it's such a blessing to have you here today. Um, Dr. Tuttle is um, a really accomplished, um, broad-spectrum I'd say artist, really, um, artist of life. And how I first came into contact contact with Will is I read his book many years ago, um, The World Peace Diet. And for a long time, my own um, teachings around yoga and what I do with my trainings um, and, and in my own lifestyle is, is about how can I live more peace in the world. And when I, when I came across that book and it became – a great part of the curriculum for our training. I just so appreciated um, the message of that and then was lucky enough to um, be, I think it was on Maui a couple of years ago and Will and I met in person there and Will's going to be coming and part of our uh, teacher training in May, um, bringing us some information and education. And um, in addition to being the author of that book, which was I think over 10 years ago now, um, Will's got two other books we'll hear about today. He's an accomplished musician, musician a former monk, um, and um, a really fascinating, heartful guy. Will, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you, Daniel, and uh, thank you everyone for listening in and watching, and uh, I'm really delighted to be with you, and I really appreciate the work you're doing. It's fantastic. It's, um, it's a real blessing for us to be here, um, especially with, with David. Um, this is, you know, David Wolf's channel, and he's a good friend. And the people that are here are people who are for sure interested in the relationship between food and health. And, you know, and I know for you, Will, that's um, a big part of it. You talk about the different levels of health. But before we jump into um, really helping people make the link and make it more conscious. And, and I definitely want to get into how people can um, look at and understand their, their food choices and the effect that has on them and on the world. Um, you know, for, for you and I, this kind of conversation, veganism, and um, the, way, the way our food impacts the greater whole is, is a normal conversation. Um, I know that for myself um, and for you, though, it wasn't always that way. And I grew up in the standard American diet world and eating meat three times a day and never thought anything about it. Um, and, um, and, and you did in a way, too. Would you, would you be up for telling people how you, um, how you got to be where you are now with this? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Daniel. You know, uh, I'm very similar to you. I was born and raised back in the 1950s in uh, New England, Concord, Massachusetts, eating the typical meals of lots of meat, dairy and eggs and fish and so forth. And I did not question it because there was no little chink in the in the wall anywhere for any vegetarian or vegan light to shine in back then. And so, uh, in fact, I remember when I was about seven, I asked my mother, so the food we're eating, is that what everybody eats in, in the world? And she said, yeah, this is pretty much what everybody eats. And then she came back a few minutes later and she said, well, actually, that's not true. There are vegetarians. And I had never heard that word. And I was at that age when I loved learning new words, especially if they were big words. And I said, what's a vegetarian? And she said, well, I wouldn't worry about it. You're never going to meet one. <laughs> and she said, I'm a, a lot older than you are, and I've never met one. And then she said, I don't know where they get their protein. So I had this uh, image of these poor people who were vegetarians that were probably dragging themselves along the ground, barely able to walk because they didn't, you know, they were suffering from such severe protein deficiency. And uh, I was so glad I wasn't a vegetarian and that we could eat meat and be strong and healthy and get plenty of protein and get plenty of calcium from the milk and so forth. And so that was my life growing up. And, and, and I went away to a summer camp when I was in my early teens, maybe 13, 14 years old, and participated actually uh, in um, killing chickens and, and cows uh, on this dairy operation. They, they, that was learning, sort of learning where your food comes from. And I, I have to say, I didn't like doing it, but I was um, sure that what I was doing was the right thing. Because like you, at that point, I had gone through... Uh, about 13 years, well, yeah, 13 years of the most intense indoctrination a person can go through 
And I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that uh, God gave us these animals to eat. They don't have a soul. They taste good. And if you don't eat them, you're definitely going to die within 24 hours of a protein deficiency. You know, so that was basically it for me. And so I remember, um, you know, you know, shoot it. We shot this poor cow in the head right in the barn, you know, in this cute little uh, Vermont dairy where nothing bad ever happens, a little organic, small ring, you know, small operation. The dairyman himself, you know, shot the cow and we helped cut the cow up. He said, if you can't use it for meat, you have to use it for milk. You have to use it for meat. And so, so that was the thing. And but what, what I'm so glad really from in my story is that when I went away to college back in the early 70s, I began to um, uh, realize that there were people who were vegetarians, but I never actually met one, like my mother said. But right after that, I left home with my brother. And we decided to go on a spiritual pilgrimage. I started reading books about Eastern meditation uh, and yoga, and I was starting to practice yoga, I was starting to practice meditation. It was kind of the, the new thing back in the 70s. And I remember we thought we we're going to go to California. We we're going to go to San Francisco and, and find cosmic consciousness. You know, that's back in the day when you could, you know, ha have those kind of ideas and just do it. And so we left home. We walked down the, the, our parents' driveway. I remember we had some fresh baked cookies from my mother and we left home and we we're going to go and find enlightenment. And we got as far as Buffalo after a few weeks and, or maybe a month of walking. And then we decided to just head south, and we actually walked all the way down through upstate New York, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Kentucky, into Tennessee, eventually to a Zen center in Alabama. But in Tennessee, we lived in for a little while in a community that was called The Farm. And The Farm back in, um, in 1975, when I got there, was about 900 people, and they were mainly from California. So we felt, kinda, we felt like we kind of met everybody in the middle there. And... Um, but they were all vegetarians. They said, we're vegetarians. So this is my first real exposure to a community of vegetarians. There was 900 vegetarians. They were actually what we would call today vegans in the sense that they didn't eat meat or dairy or eggs, but no one heard of the word vegan in 1975. So they said, we're vegetarians. And lo and behold, nobody was dragging themselves to the dirt, you know, suffering of a protein deficiency. In fact, they struck me as being wonderful, energetic, creative, idealistic, very happy people, well-adjusted from my point of view. And so that was basically it. From that point on, uh, I never have eaten meat in my life. I, I, since 1975, I, I, I asked them, why are you guys vegetarian? And they told me this, that there were two main reasons. One was the fact that most of the food that we grow, instead of feeding it to the people who are hungry, like 80%, is fed to imprisoned cows, pigs, chickens, and other animals, fishes, and so forth. And, uh, and so people are starving. And so they, and what they said was, we want to create a world of peace. And it's well understood that food shortages are the main driving force behind conflict and war in the world. So we want to help create a more peaceful world. So we're eating lower on the food chain. So there's enough for everyone to eat. You know, that basic idea. So that, I thought that was brilliant actually. And then also I remember, uh, the guy said, you know what the animals go through that people are eating and. I said, you know, don't tell me. I don't want to hear all the terrible things. But he told me just a few of the things, the basic routine uh, mutilations and castrations and impregnations and this whole uh, and, and the hyper confinement, you know, the basic uh, misery that we force all these animals into. And then the thought of eating all that misery, too, and causing it. And but the beautiful thing for me was that I had this living example. I think it's kind of rare. You know, I was, there I was with 900 other people. <laughs> they were all vegans and they were all thriving. They had probably 200 children. They were all vegan from birth. They were doing great. So that was it. I never ate meat again. And uh, and actually, the other thing that was interesting, a couple of years, maybe I'd say five years later, 1980, I made the connection with dairy and eggs. So I became a vegan in, in the sense I gave that up. And, and it's, it's kind of a process. You know, I, I gave up you know, leather and fur, wool, silk, you know, all that stuff. I just try to kind of slowly get those things out of my life because I didn't like the idea of, of causing suffering to animals. I've always um, felt that the earth is so beautiful with such a celebration of life here and the idea of imprisoning animals and abusing them just never sat well with me. And once I realized it's not necessary, and I had that example of another community that that made it uh, so much more easy for me to do it. Actually, it was that I realized basically the main one of the main teachings for me is that the only reason anyone eats animal foods is because of the communities we're raised in. 
So if we can have uh, an example of an alternative community that's based more on health, sustainability, freedom, uh, liberation, and equality and justice, then we can make a change. And, and that was what happened to me. And then the other thing, just briefly, is that a few years later, 1984, I shaved my head and I became uh, a Zen monk. I was in Korea. I was already living in meditation centers in California at that point. I did get out there eventually yeah, for about 10 years. But when I went to Korea, uh, I found myself in a Zen monastery called Songwangsa, which in, uh, in the, at that time, 1984, was totally vegan. I mean, it still is. We, we were just there actually recently. So there was no meat, no dairy, no eggs, wool, silk, leather. You wouldn't even kill mosquitoes. You know, it was this idea we were meditating. Uh, virtually that was all we did from three o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night you know every day we were just we were sitting it was this intensive retreat but I realized that I was in a community that had been practicing again what we would call today veganism for about 750 years since the I think the 1100s or something this is what they had done for hundreds and hundreds of years so that was a big piece for me to really understand that this uh, thing we call veganism is not really veganism you know it's an ancient practice it goes back thousands you know hundreds of years probably thousands of years and it's just our i think really what it is it's our natural wisdom our natural intuition our natural empathy and kindness just functioning naturally when we see beings we see beings we don't see objects we don't see commodities and i think we're trained uh, we have our natural wisdom repressed being raised in our society and uh when that's uh in a sense uh a possibility, I think, for us to deepen our connection spiritually with our own inner wisdom, then we can begin to question the official narrative in our society, and then we can begin to actually, I think, be a force for healing in the world. So when I came back, actually, from Songwangsa, it was then that I, I went on to get my PhD at Berkeley and do a bunch of other stuff, including writing the World Peace Diet. And uh, it became really my mission to help show people that there's a much bigger picture to the whole food thing you know it's it's there's many levels of health and to uh try to share this message as as best i can and uh working with my my wonderful spouse madeline uh in order to do that so we, we travel a lot but uh it's great to be able to work with people like you and and the people who are watching and listening because i think really this is the, the most important thing we can focus on today is uh how to question a narrative that's harming us on every level, and the fact that we have an alternative that's absolutely practicable. So we're not just criticizing a system that's obsolete and destructive. We have an alternative that's delicious and that's available. So that's my my brief story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great, and um, it's you know it's fun to hear your trajectory of how you came into the new awareness and seeing the living examples of it and and seeing right. the impact and you know and I know you talk about the 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 disconnection that's one of the ramifications of the meat diet and you know and i know for me as a, as a kid it was is I, I had no awareness of animals being the thing that was on my dinner plate and right. and and i you know i loved animals and um i'm curious um what you can tell us about the reception and I'm, I'm sure that a lot of our audience here maybe all of or most of our audience are people that are already tuned into the impact of, of of what they're eating in terms of their own health and also the greater planet um you know my experience when i when i made the connection and it was when i was uh 17 years old my first year of college you know just suddenly a light went on and i realized like whoa that and it was for me it was a funny thing i was uh, i walked into fuddruckers this um you know chain restaurant and there was a, a big uh paper mache cow hanging from the ceiling and and i and i looked at no it was plastic not paper mache and i looked at it and the way they had it one side it was black and white you know shaped like a cow and the other side it was a cross section and it was showing wow. the different cuts of meat and and this was advertising for them and when i and when i looked at it i just stood there like open mouth looking up at like whoa that's the animal that i love and that's the thing that we eat and that was the moment for me i didn't eat any more meat and i swung the other way and i got into um peta and i got into my college uh, organization and 
for vegetarianism and I started protesting and, you know, making paper mache cows and I stopped just short of throwing, you know, blood onto people and that kind of thing. Um, and what I found is that I, I started losing friends. I would walk into the um, dining hall and sit down for a meal and people would leave the table. They're like, oh, there's that guy again. And he's going to start criticizing what I'm eating. And, and I realized like, well, this is not working. So I, I just cut it all off and I stopped talking about it at all and didn't say anything to anybody. And then it was years later when I really understood the philosophy of yoga and and ahimsa, you know, non-harming or doing as little harm as possible, then I realized, well, actually, this is this is part of the curriculum. This is part of the training. This is part of this pathway. And it's in a lot of traditions for if you want to awaken or you want to be happy, these are things that you can do. So then I started teaching about it again, and it became an important part of, of the curriculum that I share with people. Um, now, and I know that you are teaching and sharing in, um, in a lot of parts of the world, in, including in China a lot lately. So what, um, what can you tell us about the reception? And I know, you know you're, a, you're, a, you're a gentle man who is really there to empower people and you're not telling people what they should do or criticizing anything that they're doing. But what, what's the reception that um, you're finding for the World Peace Diet? <clears throat> Yeah, wow, that's a fascinating story, Daniel. <laughs> and I know I actually, I mean, I, I the first for me, the first probably ten years of being a, a, a vegan, a vegetarian and vegan both, but especially as a vegan, um, I was quite often I was in people's faces about it. Um, you know, you know, it, it's um, it, because I, I feel uh, even now I feel that there is a, an obligation to uh, be a voice for those who don't really have a voice in our society and who are being abused. And I, I don't want to stand by and just not say something when others are being harmed. The, the question, of course, is uh, when we're in such a small minority uh, and people don't have to listen to us, they can say, well, you know, <laughs> I enjoy bacon, so the heck with it, you know, uh, to be effective. You know, how do we actually be effective? And I think that's where yoga, meditation, spiritual um, practice, and um, an honesty, I think, uh, and integrity really begin to work together. And we can see, essentially, for me, the, the basic thing is in terms of um, the receptivity to the message is to broaden the discussion so that instead of th this this old-fashioned way of doing something which is you know i'm right you're wrong i'm a vegan you're not a vegan you know, i'm more evolved than you because i'm not causing suffering therefore you're obviously less evolved and you're because you are causing suffering or you are causing pollution and you know this, this whole kind of implicit judgment uh and criticism and shaming really of other people and even if we don't say anything like that, even if I just say, well, I'm a vegan, people already feel like, oh, God, he judged me right now. <laughs> you know, it can, it can happen. It can be very polarizing because uh, the thing is people don't freely choose to eat animal-based foods. No one freely chooses to, to eat these foods. We only do it because from the time of little infants, we're participating in rituals. And it's very important, I think. So this is what I basically talk about. I talk about the cultural uh, programming or indoctrination and conditioning that we all go through and show that whether we're vegans or vegetarians or omnivores or wherever we are on the spectrum, that we're all in the same boat, basically. We've all been wounded by being raised in a culture that is based on herding animals. So I invented a word basically called herderism, which is the mentality that is in, uh, endemic or inherent in a culture that's organized around herding animals. And we don't think of ourselves as living in a herding culture because we think those cultures were long ago far away when people were out with animals all the time. But we have just simply industrialized it and we do it on a larger scale than ever. It's, it's massive. I mean, the, the number of animals that we're killing every day, just for example, say in the United States, 75 million is a very conservative estimate. It takes an enormous um, industrialized killing machine to do that every day, routinely and relentlessly. And it and this only happens because we have a population of people who have been uh, raised in a culture where they've been taught to demand these foods you know if people stop demanding these foods it would stop completely you know instantly so 
we're born into a herding culture, an industrialized herding culture. We're forced from the time we're little kids by very well-meaning people, our parents, teachers, neighbors, you know, religious leaders and so forth, government officials and so forth. They're all, they're all basically, I think, well-meaning. They want us to eat you know, the foods that are going to be healthy for us, but they've also been indoctrinated. And this goes back, as I, as I um, discuss and, and show and demonstrate, actually, in the World Peace Diet, it goes back about 10,000 years when people first started owning animals as property for food. The word for that is herding. And the herding cultures have certain characteristics. Uh, they tend to be patriarchal because it's about not just humans dominating animals, but really more specifically, it's about men dominating female animals, impregnating them against their will, stealing their babies. And so there's this basic teaching of repressing the sacred feminine dimension of consciousness and of life and of seeing females as just objects to be used. And I think when we're raised in that society, whether we're females or males, we're harmed enormously by that kind of underlying violence that's going on all the time that we're paying for, but we're not just paying for it and causing it, we're actually eating it, right? It becomes the very cells of the body that we're using. So, it's, so this herding of animals, I think what I, the main point that I've discovered and that I share with people, and I think it's very effective because it's the truth. You know, I love Gandhi's teaching where he, he basically said, you don't try to change other people. All you can change is one person, yourself. If, if I can bring myself into alignment with these teachings in a deep way, then by how I speak, and, that's, and, and it's, it's not so much what we say, I think it's how we say it. And even more than that, it's, it's who we are when we say it. It's, it's who is the being that's actually speaking. And I think when we're embodying what veganism is, which is, as you said, ahimsa or, or non-harmfulness, another word for that, I think, is respect. Another word is kindness, gentleness, uh, um, I think, uh, tenderness, mercy. You know, these words uh, essentially are pointing at a, a quality of consciousness that is uh, available to us, but that is repressed by being raised in a society where ritualistically every single day, like you said, probably three times a day, we're eating the flesh and secretions of animals who have been abused physically, psychologically, in every possible way. And we have to understand that every culture does this. You know, every culture transmits its values from generation to generation. That's what cultures do. It's not like we don't we have to blame our culture. Cultures do that. They do it through rituals. The main ritual in any society are, is, is the um, meals of that culture. When people sit down and eat food, we're not just eating food. We're eating a whole series of attitudes that go in, and, and it's, it's invisible, and it's, it's, we don't even know it. It just happens. But these attitudes that go in at a deep level, like I said earlier, the domination uh, and repression of the sacred feminine dimension, and the creating a culture that's based on seeing animals, other living beings as objects, imprisoning them. It, it gave rise also for the very first time actually on planet Earth to a wealthy elite class uh, that owned capital. The old ancient Latin word capita means head, as in head of sheep and goats, head of stock, you know, life, livestock. <laughs> so we have this arising of a culture based on uh, the domination of most of the society by a wealthy elite class, the, the kings. I used to teach college courses in these ancient texts, like the Epic of Gilgamesh and the Iliad, the Odyssey, you know, these ancient writings. And you can just read them. These kings are in power. They're controlling most of the institutions in the society. They're rich and powerful because they own animals. They're eating a lot of meat, and that's uh, that has status. You know, this is what we see. This is the, and we're in that same culture today. It's it's come through through the generations, and also they invented two other uh, institutions that we still have with us. One is war, uh, the ancient Sanskrit word go, which means cow, um, gives rise to this word gavya, which means war. It means a desire for more cows. That that's war, <laughs> the ancient word. So. War uh, came from this, and all the violence of war, the horror of war, and slavery, because whoever lost the war in those ancient times, the animals became the property of the victors, but so did the people. So we had this whole transformation, a very slow transformation of a, of a more peaceful, I think more aware society, at least a society where animals were treated with respect, to a patriarchal, violent, and uh, really in many ways bellicose society, uh, or, or, you know, whole, whole tribes that were like this. And, the, and these 
these people began to dominate and exploit and, and overthrow others. And this, this thing spread basically. And we see how, we can see how it spread through from the Eastern Mediterranean region into Central Asia, Northern Mediterranean to Europe, to North and South America. It's spreading really as we speak through the, through the, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Burger King, ConAgra, Cargill, Monsanto, you know, this whole, uh, web of uh, corporations and financial institutions and governmental agencies that are all part of that same herding culture and the mentality of domination and violence. So for me, if just explaining that, I don't have, I'm not blaming anyone. It's like for whatever reason, 10,000 years ago in, in what is today Iraq, people thought they had to imprison animals and confine them and, and then eat them and, and, and then eat their uh, dairy products later and so forth. Um, that's okay. I mean, if they had to do that, whatever. But why why are we doing it now? It, it's obviously completely dysfunctional. It takes enormous quantities of land and water and petroleum, uh, causes ridiculous amounts of pollution, climate destabilization, cutting down of rainforest, destruction of oceans. We get foods that are absolutely toxic to us. They concentrate toxins. We have heavy metals, PCBs, dioxins, nuclear radiation, all concentrating in these foods. Plus, the you know the acidification the inflammatory quality of animal proteins, the saturated fat, cholesterol, I mean, all this stuff. It's like, what in the world are we thinking? We, you know, if we, if we were actually logical, rational people, we would just, we wouldn't have to talk about it. We would, we would all be vegan a long time ago. <laughs> the thing is, we're not really logical and rational. We're much more tribal <clears throat> in the sense. We, we, we just want to be like everybody else. We don't want to be different from the people around us. And we, and we uh, have a certain image of ourselves and that gets very deeply ingrained into us and we trust our parents at such a deep level. So it, when people hear these ideas, it creates you know, an, an opening in them very often, but then there's the cognitive dissonance. And I think that's why it's important for us as activists to be kind and loving to people because if people are wounded, and they are wounded. We're all wounded. It's not going to help them to then criticize them and kick them, you know, <laughs> while they're down. You know, the whole idea is to be loving and show, gosh, you know, I, I discovered, this is the basic idea, you know, I discovered that the only reason I was eating animal foods all those years was because I was just following orders. And then I realized these orders are not in my best interest. I'm not doing it anymore. And it's fantastic. Now, that basic message, I think, is really the truth. That's Satyagraha, what Gandhi said. I'm just speaking my own truth. I'm sharing that truth with kindness and respect. And I have to say, Daniel, we've been able to go to places like the cornfield, you know, small cities and towns in Iowa and Oklahoma and share this message in local libraries with people who are definitely not vegetarian or vegan. And no one argues. I mean, it, because it's just that no one can, no one argues. It's true. I mean, everyone knows that the only reason anyone eats animal foods is because we're following orders. We're, we're products of our communities. We do know it's really not in our best interest health-wise environmentally wise we understand that so there's really nothing to argue about it's just basically sharing these ideas and with a loving way and then planting those seeds and like the bhagavad-gita says uh don't be attached to the fruit of your actions you know, basically just plant the seed let go and then um, trust that people at a deeper level will wake up and that their intuition and wisdom is functioning and i think that's what we're doing like what we're doing right now is just you know sharing our ideas but we can't change anybody. People, when they come to this change on their own, then they're motivated and then they're activated and, and they're, and they're um, I think, uh, much more able to then be effective in their own way at sharing and being part of the solution. Yeah, well said. Well, now, now that you've said all of that, I wonder, would you say, is there any downside to eating meat for us? Any downside to eating meat? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I mean, that was such, All right. you know, and I know that you were just touching really on, on very briefly um, and, you know, to hear the way you speak so eloquently um, and succinctly about it. It's just there, as you said, there's nothing to debate. There's just so many um, reasons why it's, it's crazy that we would eat meat. And there's so many different angles and perspectives. And, you know, for me, I start. I stopped eating meat because um, because I got the connection that ethically it didn't make sense. I, I love animals and I, I love beings, and it doesn't make sense to participate in killing them. And then when I discovered, oh, hey, there are health benefits. Oh, and actually, it's you know beneficial for the environment. Like, oh, great, that's that's a really good bonus. Um, and there's two areas that I want to jump into with you about this. One is. Um, 
what our food choices have to do with our intuitive and psychic abilities. And also, and this, I think these two are related, where it goes in terms of uh, creating peace on the planet. We're at such a, um, an interesting time in our planet's history where there is more division and animosity than we've ever had before, which for me, and, you know, and for what we're doing on the yoga teacher training is, is great news because it means that yoga is still growing for some reason. There's, um, there's, we have an army of people that are trained to address this division and conflict in the world. And those, those are yoga teachers. Um, so, and, but before though, before I, uh, before we come to that, I want to just take a moment to thank our sponsor longevity drops and, you know, longevity drops is, um, it's, it's, it's such a simple, easy thing that we can do to benefit our health. And, you know, I know for me, when I, when I became vegetarian, I was a junk food vegetarian in the beginning. I had no idea about nutrition, right. you know, and I ate Kraft macaroni and cheese every meal. And I thought that that was um, being a healthy person. Um, and then as I started to learn about nutrition, then I got to discover super nutrition. And that's really what, um, what herbal medicine is all about. And you know, part of what I love about this is in just a little bottle and the way I do it, and it's so easy, is use a dropper full of this um, in the morning, in the evening, and it's just power-packed essence and tonic herbs like chaga and Romania and cordyceps and hoshu wu and um, blended in, uh, in coconut glycerin in a really high-quality way. Um, it, it's eating vegetarian is fantastic because it will take away a lot of the toxicity that comes to us in other ways. And then when we have the ability to um, supplement with such beneficial things as tonic herbs, it's just a bone, um, a blessing for us. Um, and well, and, and, and before I turn over back to you, Will, to respond to what I'm saying, if you would, um, I want to let people know about what we're doing on the teacher training in May at Omega Institute. And and I think part of what I want to say about this is, you know, I hear people say a lot of times, like, I, I'm not, um, I, I can't really do yoga because I'm, uh, I'm stiff, or I haven't really done that before, which is kind of like saying, um, you know, I'm, I'm too out of shape to go to the gym. Well, and the idea is, hey, this is the place we go in order to create this. And, and I'm really excited for myself, having been in Bali for the last 13 years and back in the U.S. to be partnering with Omega Institute and have so many amazing teachers like yourself part of what we're doing to take people who, you know, maybe are already teaching yoga or maybe just a little bit interested in yoga and have 26 immersive days to really get into the essence of what yoga is from, from all perspectives, from the physical practice, of course, but also the, the education and the philosophy and and maybe most importantly, the community. Um, and, and you've addressed this already in beautiful ways here that um, we, we tend to do what we see around us. We tend to be what we see around us. So the blessing of coming together for, for a month with like-minded people who are devoted to not just um, being peaceful, not just being healthy, but being lights in the world and you know, and just like you said, what, what Gandhi said, what we can do is change ourselves. We can be that change. And the more of us that are doing that, the, the bigger the impact in the greater world. And, and I really think that that's why, um, you know, that's why we've got such a, a crazy time on the planet right now. And that's why the, the political world has shifted into such craziness and ridiculousness is to, to wake us up to say, you know what, it's time for those of us who believe in peace, who, those of us who believe in yoga, and there's so many people that are practicing yoga, to actually step up and really be leaders for a change in the world right now. And, yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, I personally have this faith, and, and a lot of people would say it's crazy given the the evidence that we have in the world right now, I have the, a faith that we actually can have a world where there is not war, where there is peace everywhere. And I have a faith that, um, that we can all wake up to the, to the idea that animals are beings worthy of love and respect, 
just like our brothers and sisters and parents and children. And, you know, and, and I know that these are very interrelated possibilities. So all that said, um, you know, what can you say about um, this connection between intuition and, and food and, and peace and, and the possibility for um, a whole mm. new way of being in the yeah, world? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. And uh, yeah, I think uh, there's so many things you said that I, I agree. I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. And I think the fact that you're going to be able to do a, an immersive uh, intensive at Omega is terrific. There's something in all the world religions and wisdom traditions. Uh, it's called the, um, I, I would say, right, you know, there's, there's the, the, the Eightfold Path of the Buddha that has right, uh, right livelihood and uh, right speech, right thought and uh, right meditation and so forth. But one of them that I think is sort of underlies all of those is right association, that whoever we associate with, we become like them. And I think it's important really for us to choose our friends and colleagues and partners and so forth very carefully uh, and to take advantage of opportunities to get together with like-minded people who uh, share ideals that we want to grow and deepen in ourselves. And I think that kind of opportunity is, is incredibly important and powerful. And I think that's really in a sense what we're doing right now uh, is, um, is creating a community at this moment, you know, for sort of a, a virtual community where uh, we're um, sharing about ideas. And, and I think th these are the kinds of communities that can transform the dysfunctionality of the community that we're born into. And I'm really glad that you, you brought up the idea of intuition and also world peace. Of course, I wrote The World Peace Diet. I've written another book that just came out called Your Inner Islands, The Keys to Intuitive Living. And uh, this is something that I just can't estimate uh, more strongly, which is that we all have an inner wisdom that is, is present all the time. And in many ways, I think it's been covered over by being raised in a society that's based on herding animals. It's based also on uh, reducing people in many ways to commodities, all of us to, to fit into a machine that's running here, an economic machine or a cultural machine. And so one of the things I talk about is, is the fact that there are five dimensions of health that we uh, are, I think, very advised to become aware of. And when we think of being healthy, most of us think of our physical health, our biological health, our having a healthy body. And that's one, four other ones. And, and the underlying idea is that animal agriculture or herding animals and eating the foods uh, of, of these animals is devastating and, and eroding and harmful to all five levels of health. We really need, I think, it's important for us to be very clear about this, that animal-based foods do not help us on any, one, on any of these five dimensions of health. So what are these five dimensions of health? Besides the physical health, there's three of them really that are the outer world. So there's our physical health, our physical body, there's also our environmental health, the health of our earth. And then there's also uh, a cultural health or the health of our society. Those are the three outer dimensions of health. And I think we all know that they're all interrelated and all very important. It, it's really Im virtually impossible for us to be radiantly healthy physically if the environment is all messed up, right? If the water is polluted and the soil is eroded and the food is all contaminated and the air, <laughs> air is, you know, and the climate and, and the oceans are being destroyed and so forth. All of this erodes the health of ecosystems that we depend on for our physical health. So we have to really understand clearly that animal agriculture is by far the number one most devastating activity that human beings engage in in terms of environmental destruction. I could talk for a long time about it, and I've already mentioned a few things, but I, I recommend see the movie Cowspiracy if you have a chance or just do some research, but basically all the levels of environmental devastation, mainly because animal agriculture is so wasteful. It takes enormous quantities. It, it, a very conservative estimate is 10 to 1. There are 10 times the amount of land to feed one person eating a standard American diet as feeding one person, uh, excuse me, as feeding 10 people uh, a plant-based diet, especially if it's organic. So we can really feed, we can, this is such a good news. I mean, the basic idea in all this is good news, really good news. <laughs> we can really drastically and dramatically heal 
our world environmentally. As we move toward a plant-based way of eating, the amount of land that we'll need to have destroyed, we're cutting down rainforest right now at an acre per second in the Amazon. We, we can't even wrap our minds around what it is to cut down an acre per second of, of ancient forest and destroy habitat and cause the mass extinction of, of between one and 200 is the estimate of species every single day is going extinct because of cutting down and destroying habitat to grow soybeans to feed to imprisoned cows, pigs, chickens, and imprisoned fishes eat enormous amount of soybeans. So the soy production to, for, to feed animals, to fatten up animals, to get dairy products and meat and eggs is driven by people taking out their wallets and voting for eating meat, eating these foods. That's the voting booth. And so it's very important, I think, for us to realize that in, environmentally, our oceans are being destroyed, our rainforests are being destroyed, our climate and soil and aquifers are being uh, sucked dry. We see evidence of this. We lived in an RV for 17 years, traveling around all over North America, and now we travel worldwide, and it's clear. We just got back from Africa not too long ago. I mean, the, the absolute slaughter of elephants and zebras and giraffes and all these other these animals, lions, is because Kentucky Fried Chicken and Burger King and so forth are moving to Africa and they need to grow a lot more soybeans and corn to feed these imprisoned animals. And now these free living wild animals, these iconic animals are now pests. They're now, get rid of them. You know, that's the basic mentality we have in the United States and uh, in, the, in the West in general. We have governmental institutions and agencies that kill millions of coyotes and bobcats you know, every year. So it's a war, animal agriculture is a war against wildlife, a war against environmental health. Moving to a plant-based diet is by far the best thing anyone can do for environmental health, um, but also for cultural health, because we have to understand again that a healthy society is a society uh, of justice, of equality, of caring and kindness, and animal agriculture is the exact opposite of these things. We're feeding enormous quantities of grain and petroleum and water to a relatively wealthy elite, those who live in industrialized nations where it's relatively easy for us with our high-powered economies to vote up the price of uh, grain on the world market, to feed to our imprisoned cows, pigs, and chickens, and go to the store and buy meat, dairy products, and eggs. When we do that, we are, we are making it impossible for people in less industrialized nations to afford that grain, and they're starving. And th that hunger is not only a massive injustice, but it is well understood to be the driving force behind conflict and war, which cause even more problems. And the environmental devastation, it's the poorer countries of the world that get most of the environmental devastation caused by those of us in the, in the wealthier countries. So really moving to a plant-based diet is, a, is an act of justice, not just to the animals and to wildlife and to ecosystems and future generations, but also to hungry people and to reduce the war machine. We're going to have a war machine if we're going to have, have animal agriculture. As I said, the first word for war was, uh, was the desire for cows. You know, animal agriculture and war go together. And they always have. But this is a terrible, devastating uh, institution in terms of happiness for human beings and refugees and you know, all of the problems of war. It goes on and on. I mean, it just it just keeps building from this. So moving to a plant-based diet is the foundation of bringing more health to our society. And also just remember that there's a whole army of workers who have to kill animals and impregnate them on rape racks and steal their babies and electroshock them. And we pay for them and we're paying basically people to do work that brings out the worst in them. And these workers have the highest rates of, of work-related injuries, but also among the highest rates of suicide and drug addiction and alcoholism. So again, to understand that animal agriculture essentially is a web of trauma to ecosystems and to, and to other people and to our society. And so when we eat that stuff, it's also traumatic to our body because uh, it, it's constituted, of, it's constituted of, of, food, of, of so-called nutrients that are really hard for our body to deal with. That's a whole other conversation <laughs> we can get into. But basically, that's our physical health. So what I've discovered, like I've been a vegan now for 38 years, and I haven't been to a doctor, essentially, in 38 years. And I think in, in general, people who eat a healthy, organic, uh, whole foods, plant-based diet, uh, not only does the food become enormously delicious and and uh, and much more environmentally uh, sustainable, and creating a foundation for health in our in our um, 
environmentally, but also culturally and physically. But then the other two dimensions of health besides physical, environmental, and cultural are the internal dimensions of health. And those are uh, psychological or emotional health. And finally, uh, spiritual or ethical health. And I think this is where intuition comes in. The basic idea, just briefly, is that if I'm eating animal-based foods, I'm not just eating foods that are toxic physically in all these ways I've been talking about. I'm eating attitudes that are also quite toxic. The underlying attitudes in animal agriculture are, like you said earlier, disconnectedness. I'm not going to make the connection. I'm taught not to make the connection between what I'm eating and what it took to get it onto my plate. And so this, the ability to make connections is the definition of intelligence, essentially. Cultural intelligence as well as individual intelligence. And so being forced to sit down and eat animal-based foods, really we're being unfortunately dumbed down uh, in, in our natural capacities of empathy and intelligence and awareness and wisdom are repressed. We're forced to see beings as objects. We're forced to just not look deeply, feel deeply, care deeply, listen deeply. And that shallowness makes it very easy for large institutions to exploit people. And, and, and we're much more likely to just believe the official stories because animal agriculture is the official narrative. The basic subtext of every meal is just trust the authorities. Don't trust your own intuition. Don't trust your own feelings. Don't, look, don't really look at what you're doing. Just go along uh, like the emperor has no clothes. Just pretend that what you're eating is just chicken, right? Or it's just a hamburger. We're not eating cows or pigs. We're eating, these, you know, that, that's such a lie. And it, and it really reduces our intelligence. And so that basic uh, understanding that the attitudes of disconnectedness, of commodification of life, of might makes right, of the domination of the feminine, you know, the, the spirituality in many ways is about cultivating the sacred feminine dimension of life. I refer to this in the World Peace Diet as Sophia. Sophia is the ancient Greek goddess of wisdom. And I think there's a reason for that. Wisdom in all the traditions, uh, whatever they are, I've noticed I used to teach college courses in comparative religion. And it's typically, wisdom is typically a, a feminine goddess because it represents the inner capacity of us, what, whatever gender we are, to be receptive. Receptivity it's a feminine, you know, like in China, in Chinese, there's the yin and the yang. Yin is, is receptivity, yang is action. And, and the basic idea is we can never be effective in our action if we can't be really, truly re uh, receptive in yin, you know. So, but animal agriculture is about just repressing this receptivity and just, and just always be doing something all the time. So we have a whole society where in, in general, we're just, we're not um, peaceful. We're not comfortable with turning our attention within and listening, with being receptive, with uh, looking deeply and, and, um, and trying to be aware of the consequences of our actions. This is all the sacred feminine. And also the sacred feminine is about caring and kindness. Like when a mother gives birth to a little baby, this feminine love, this unconditional love kicks in and it's the foundation of everything. If we're not going to be healthy physically, psychologically, or in any way, if our mother uh, ignores us <laughs> after we're born, right? It doesn't care about us. We're, we're going to die physically and psychologically we'll, we'll be very damaged. So this is the foundation of everything, of a healthy people, healthy society, healthy world, is the loving, caring, giving nature uh, of, of the feminine dimension. But what is animal agriculture? It's the opposite of that. Babies are always stolen from their mothers. When a mother cow or pig gives birth to a little baby, they want to love and protect and, and nurture and nurse that little baby. But in, in, in every case, whether it's an organic backyard operation or it's a big factory farm operation, it's not your baby. That's my baby. I own you. I own your baby. I'm going to steal your baby. I'm going to kill your baby. I'm going to impregnate you again. I'm going to steal your baby again. I mean, it's this massive violence, uh, sexual abuse, and also breaking down of the most precious sacred bond of the mother and the child. We do that millions of times a day. It's the foundation of our entire society. We have to understand we've been wounded by this. We've been born into it. We've been taught even not only to vote for it and, and make it happen, but to eat it. We, you know, as little kids, we're eating this stuff. So our basic spirituality and ethics have been shut down. We're raising a society of competition. And so what veganism is really is not veganism. It's simply 
it's ahimsa. It's coming back. It's an intuition. It's peace, liberation, freedom, but it's basically coming back to our true nature. And I agree with you, Daniel. I think that there is a time coming soon when we as caterpillars are going to become butterflies. I mean, we're going to like, we're going to, we're going to, we're, we're in this outward eating kind of destroying, gobbling up the world, consuming everything mentality. And it's becoming obvious. We cannot do this much longer with nuclear weapons, with machines that can cut down rainforest an acre per second, overfish the oceans. It's time for us to turn within and reconnect with our purpose here and emerge as different beings. And I think some of us feel that calling and, and just everything we can do to live this and understand this will give our life meaning. And we're really the ones I think that are um, essentially pay, you know, paving, I like to use the word paving, but pioneering <laughs> the way uh, to a world uh, where peace and freedom and justice and sustainability are actually possible and they are possible. This earth is beautiful, it's abundant. There's nothing stopping us from a positive, beautiful future for ourselves and our children, except for one thing really, which is this, this, this mentality of violence in our food and eating. This is our most intimate connection with nature and, and our world is food. We have got to get to the food we got to, and, our, and our way of eating and, and relating. And so I think as we, as we question that and bring that into harmony with our own inner wisdom, we create a whole other world and imagining a vegan society actually is imagining a completely different world. And it's a beautiful thing to imagine because I think as we move in that, as we transition in that direction, we'll see enormous healing forces unleashed. And we're already starting to see that, I think. The more we have community gardens and farmers markets and, and more uh, energy self-sufficiency and more connection with the earth and more spiritual consciousness, more yoga and so forth, <clears throat> we're creating that, that world right now. And I think this is the, the most important thing to focus on is this understanding this and living it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you, you said it really well, Will. You know, and part of where I get excitement these days is um, this may be a reach, and I don't know if anyone's uh, thought about or talked about it. And, and you mentioned earlier um, when we were talking about, you know, do we do we say anything to people about their food choices, and we don't want to blame or push them away, but like. Um, like the Lorax said, you know, I am the Lorax and I speak for the trees and animals don't have voices that most humans are hearing. And right now, one of the exciting things happening culturally is this Me Too movement, right? Where so many, so many women's voices that have been restrained or suppressed, repressed in the past are coming forward yeah. and saying, saying, hold on now, it's time for, you know, the truth to come out. And, and I'm hoping and seeing that, well, hey, this is, you know, speciesism is just as real as sexism or racism and, or homophobia. And, you know, soon we're coming to a, uh, a me too in the voice of animals saying, hold on, you know, me too. I, I want to have babies. I want to be happy. I want to live. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that's a powerful, very important point. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, we're going to, um, I think we're going to wind down in a couple minutes. I want right. to um, also let people know two things. One is um, if you have questions or comments, please um, toss them into the comments, say hello, and uh, I'll be going through all of the comments. And also if anyone um, wants to learn more about this kind of stuff and really make some powerful changes in your life, and for whatever reason you're not able or wanting to join us at Omega Institute for the full four-week teacher training, um, I just created something brand new that I'm really excited about, which is a online learning institute, a um, spiritual mentorship membership where people can join on a monthly basis. And we've got a uh, an online community, a virtual community, which it's just to me so amazing that we have um, – the technology allows us to connect in ways that, that we never could have before. And, you know, I've been working with people one-on-one um, -on -one and in these in-person trainings, which is a big investment in time and money. And now I have the chance to work with people, um, you know, where we do live group coaching calls and I can put my information and learnings and lessons online. Um, and there's just one more day to get the uh, sort of early bird discount for that if anyone wants to. And 
last thing I'll say about it for now. Anyone on the show um, who wants to join in, I will also give you a bonus one-to-one coaching session to kickstart it for you. Um, and well, you know, as I see the time, there's so much that we could talk about here. <laughs> right. There's so much that's just, yeah. um, this conversation is so important. Um, and, and I know that the crowd that we have here, the people watching the show are already, um, quite aware of and warm to this conversation. So, uh, I guess my last uh, question or two questions here are, um, one, is there anything that I've missed asking you about or anything that you want to share um, about this conversation or what's coming up for you? Um, and two, for the people that are already hip to this conversation that are maybe choosing to live a vegetarian or vegan lifestyle and aware of the consequences of their food, what, what else can, um, can they be doing that will you know, further our common cause here? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Daniel. And that sounds like a great thing you're doing with your membership group. And um, I agree. This is so wonderful. We can get together beyond all national borders and so forth and create these communities. Yeah, the, the only thing uh, that maybe I didn't have a chance to touch on, is, I mean, there's many things really, but one thing is uh, we just finished um, quite a few different lecture tours one in North, here in North America, a two-month lecture tour to the southern part of North America, of the United States. And then before that, uh, China, India, uh, Europe. Uh, and then before that, some other nat, you know, worldwide tours re- over the last year or two. And just to tell, really emphasize to everyone that vegan, this movement we're talking about, veganism, say, or vegetarianism as a, a spiritual and uh, social uh, movement, as well as uh, for our own health, um, is an international movement that's booming in many countries, seeing uh, vegan restaurants in um, Dubai, in Cape Town, in, uh, in, um, all, over, all over Asia. I mean, China, it, it's just, it's huge. India, it's growing very quickly also. Uh, and I mean, there's a lot I could talk about that, but essentially to realize that this is probably the, defi- I think anyway, the defining movement in, of our time because it's bringing, as you said, the Me Too idea you know, to, to the most inclusive, as, as inclusive as we can be, to include all beings, not, not only uh, those of us who are, are women, but those of us who are cows, pigs, and chickens, you know, that, that we uh, also have interests and that our interests are as important to us as, as humans are, interests are important to them. You know, we, we're completely able to um, experience psychological and physical, physical suffering. And, and the amount of abuse that we're, we human beings are inflicting on, on other animals is so enormous and it boomerangs back. And uh, so I just want to you know, really thank you for creating a space for this kind of conversation. Uh, if people are interested in knowing more about the World Peace Diet uh, approach to living, um, we have uh, a website, worldpeacediet.com and, my, and will title my name.com. Uh, music and art, I'm a musician, now an artist. We try to essentially bring this message through uh, beauty, uh, through harmony, and also through, uh, I guess what you could call spiritual approaches, like with guided meditations, reading, uh, to understand the interconnectedness of all life, and understand that, like the ancient spiritual teachings always said, that whatever we sow, we will reap ourselves. So it's wonderful to be kind and loving to animals just for, for that. <laughs> That's really the main reason. But also realize that if we're not, if we abuse animals and make them sick, we're going to be abused and we're going to be sick. If we let them be free, we'll be free. If we imprison them, we'll be imprisoned. If we enslave them, we'll be enslaved. If we, you know, whatever we do, it comes back to us in this life or the next, right? So just really understand the bigger picture that what we are, each one of us, is an expression of eternal consciousness. And that the, from that point of view, we can look with eyes of, of respect to all other expressions of eternal consciousness and realize that we're all in this together and that our happiness is interconnected. We've been born into a culture where in many ways uh, our consciousness has been colonized by a force that is really not in our best interest. But we do have the power to question that, to question the values and actions and attitudes that we have internalized and to transform those and to transform our behavior. And that when we do that, we become an example that can help others. So I think the whole thing is not so much to try to change other people, but really to change ourselves and then let our changed 
itself, uh, just be creatively engaged in sharing however we feel intuitively is the right way to share this message. And I think there's no one right way to do it. Each one of us has a, our own unique piece to the puzzle. So we're happy to work with anyone, and we have a training also, the World Peace Act Facilitator Training, uh, which you can find out about at our website. And uh, we're happy to work with people and uh, coordinate uh, lectures. We travel all anywhere, really, all over the all over the United States and, and worldwide, and uh, and give uh, lectures and workshops and things too. And there's just a fantastic network of people uh, that are unified by this movement. And I think it's great to be part of something that is based on radical inclusion, like you're talking about, and based on an ancient wisdom traditions that also are in alignment with the most modern scientific understanding of everything. So it, it's it, there is really uh, it's a one one fundamental teaching that has to do with a deeper understanding of who we are that we can each uh, explore on our own and share with others. Nicely said. Yeah, um, it's it's beautiful that we've we're making such great progress, and I'm really glad to hear um, what you're saying about uh, other nations and cultures really embracing this movement yeah. and and super encouraging and. Um, so, Will, thank you for being such um, a beautiful, non-judgmental voice, you know, an inclusive voice um, with such experience and education um, and really leading the way for this and uh, being the voice for the animals. And um, you wanted to say something else? No, I, I, uh, I appreciate what you're saying, Daniel. And, and I, I want to just thank everyone who's watching and listening because I think uh, if you're here and you're part of this message and you can uh, then turn your attention out into the world uh, and speak up in whatever way it is, I think it's not so much to, like like we've been saying, to, to blame other people or criticize them, but just to share the good news that I realize the only reason I've been eating animal foods is because I was just following orders. It's not in our best interest. I'm not doing it anymore. And it's fantastic. Just to understand what that means and to, to free ourselves from the cultural narrative that's based on domination and exploitation and oppression and create a new narrative based on inclusion and kindness. And that's the real health, is the spiritual health. From that, all the other kinds of health actually flow. Absolutely. Yeah, one of the subtitles for this show is um, how to break free from the matrix and master one's own life. And, and you know, one of the most basic things is that choice of, well, what am I going to eat? And, Actually, what do I want to eat rather than just what the, the model was that I was sold as a kid without thinking about it? So, exactly. yeah, nicely said. And uh, thank you again to Longevity Drops, our sponsor. Um, Y'all, I hope you come over and join me for the membership mentorship, um, Your Vibrant Life Now, it's called. And our community is growing, a family of vibrant living. It's super exciting. And, um, and that's it for now. Next week, I'm very excited for... Uh, next Wednesday, we're going to have Jenny Blake, author of Pivot, um, The Only Move That Matters is Your Next One, which is also about how to live your life in a way that's meaningful to you in terms of career and income and your mission on the planet. Um, she's an amazing speaker, and we're lucky to have her next week. And until then, I um, am so grateful for you all for being here. This has been the Art of Vibrant Living show, your host, Daniel Aaron. Will, thanks again. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. See you next time. All right. Great. Bye. Bye. <laughs>